scriptures that I couldn't uh, say the amen to was mothers put up with all things. You didn't grow up in my mother's house. <laughs> she didn't put up with all things. We tried. Will you hand me that? So the word that I have to say today in the sermon is axolotl. Axolotl is a salamander that doesn't go through metamorphosis. It has gills. And so uh, I'll probably be buying some donuts next week for the youth group because they gave it to me early and I was praying the whole time. We'll see if the Holy Spirit gives me the word to say when I need to. Um, Mother's Day is a weird day uh, as a pastor because um, I am aware that not every one of us had a great mom. I was really fortunate. Um, I I recognize that. At the time, I didn't, Mom. I didn't know. Um, But I was really fortunate to grow up in the home I did and have the mom that I had have. But some of us didn't have great moms, and I know that. And so Mother's Day hurts in some ways for some of us. And then there are ladies in the church right now that I'm sure would love to have children and can't and don't. Uh, for whatever reason. And so Mother's Day is kind of a difficult day for you also, and I want you to know that I acknowledge that, and I don't know that pain, but um, I want to stand with you in it. And so um, in the black church, there's a tradition of having, like, spiritual mothers. And uh, I want you to spend a few minutes now thinking about who your spiritual mothers were, because ladies in the room, whether you are, are 10 years old or whether you are 110 years old, you have a role to play in the church, and that is to help raise people up. The, the sermon titled today is In the Name of the Holy Spirit, Leaders Are Raised Up. And, and you have a role to play in the church of raising all of us up. And so for me, uh, there was a lady, she was the very first Sunday school teacher I had. Her name was Susan Seipel. And I remember going into her Sunday school classroom. I'm not real sure how old I was. I was little. And she kneeled down. She had a tray, like a cookie sheet. And on the cookie sheet were a bunch of uh, pieces of jello. And they were cut out in different Christian shapes. There were like rainbows and fish and and crosses. And Susan Seipel kneeled down and welcomed me to her class and said, Would you like a piece of jello? And I took the green fish. I liked fish, and green was my favorite color. And who knew that taking a piece of green jello would change my life? Like, like that, that moment made me feel comfortable and safe and made me want to keep being in church and being around things that had to do with church. And then my third grade teacher, her name was Sammy Dobbs. She sat um, several rows in front of us because where I, the church I grew up in, my mom and dad sat exactly where they sit now. Second row of the back, as far outside as they could. But the reason why was so my mom could pinch us. She could pinch us. And by us, I mean me and my brother and my dad, when we would misbehave. And so, um, I don't know what it is, why they stay at Dad, maybe maybe you still can't behave in church, I don't know. But um, Sammy Dobbs sat up closer to the front, and I remember one day in third grade, um, she, I misbehave in class, and she called me out into the hallway. And you know you're in trouble when your teacher takes you out into the hallway. And she kneeled down and got in my face, and she talked... She, she, like, talked through her clenched teeth, and I can't do it, but she said, Ross Whitaker, young Christian boys do not behave that way. And 
I thought, oh man, she goes to my church. She sees me all the time. She knows who my parents are. I got to behave. But I also remembered that moment because she was mothering me spiritually, teaching me how I ought to treat people in the name of Jesus. And so uh, I want you to be thinking about those women for you now because there's going to be a time in the service when I want, I'm going to ask you to say their names out loud. Um, uh, so be thinking of that. Our text today is the book of Acts chapter 1. Verses 15, and I'm just going to read all the way through 26. I don't think all of it is on the slide, but I'm going to read the whole thing, 15 to 26. It's a weird passage of Scripture. We read it in the men's Bible study this last week, and they helped me a little bit with this sermon. Not a whole lot, Steve. I'm sorry to tell you, but you did your best. But um, uh, it was, it's just such a weird passage of Scripture. So listen to this. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers... Together, the crowd numbered about uh, 120 persons. And Peter said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit, through David, foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their language, Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the, all, the, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Today of all days, may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation And may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. Weird passage, right? It's really strange. So, for those of you who don't know the whole story, basically Jesus has died, Jesus was resurrected, and uh, the Holy Spirit has come, and, and Judas had betrayed Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends, one of the twelve close friends of Jesus, and Judas betrayed Jesus for some money. Uh, there's a whole lot that I could say about that. Um, I offer Judas a lot of grace and a lot of space. I think he was just trying to move the ball forward. He was completely misguided, in my opinion, and missed the point of what Jesus was about and thought he was helping and in the process really did some harm. But God can always take our best intentions and use them for good, whether we recognize it or not. And so the ball did get moved forward. It's just not how Judas or Peter or Matthew thought it was actually going to happen. And so Judas was grief-stricken. I mean, like, 
absolutely grief-stricken. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you wish you could stop time and rewind time and make a completely different decision? Well, I think Judas was having that experience and recognizing that he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't stop time, rewind, and make a new decision. And I think that he was all alone that... I don't, I don't think that the, the other disciples reached out to him. I think he just was so grief-stricken and so broken that he went out and he did this thing. He completed suicide. So there was a hole left in the 11. And Peter thinks that they need to replace this hole and fill it with someone. And the reason why is that uh, they needed 12 Anybody have any ideas why they needed 12? They needed 12 because there were 12 tribes of Israel. And they thought they were creating creating a new version of Israel. And they needed 12 overseers for the 12 tribes. And so they needed one more person. And they couldn't figure out exactly which person they wanted it to be. And so they spent some time praying and they came up with these two people. They came up with Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. And between those two people, they had to make a decision. Now, as long as I've been working in churches, I've had people say to me, you should not allow politics in the church. I think sometimes people are talking about Republican, Democrat, Independent, all that kind of stuff when they're talking about don't allow politics into the church. And I think sometimes they're talking about winners and losers within the church. Like you have a church board. Who's going to be on the church board? Who's not going to be on the church board? Well, this person thinks so-and-so should, and that person thinks their other friends should, and you've got to make a decision. So politics are in the church. It's just the way it is. From day one, politics are in the church. Politics are something that matter to us. Politics are something that change and cause us to think in certain ways, and so it's part of the church. I would say this to you, though, as your pastor. Your theology and your understanding of who God is should drive your politics, not the other way around. And I think oftentimes we use our politics to shape what we think God should be like and what we think God wants us to do. And the reality is it should be the other way around. Our belief system and the way we live and the way we love people should should shape the way we do politics, whether that be in the church or outside of the church. Amen? Amen. So politics were part of it from the very beginning. And they had a decision to make. And they wanted to make the best decision they could. So guess what they did? They opened up their Monopoly game, and they took out a couple of dice from it, and they shook the dice. No, nobody's with me. Come on, people. They shook the dice, and they threw them, and it landed on Matthias' number. That is so bizarre. Right? They didn't have Monopoly, by the way. If you're, one, if you're still stuck on that, they didn't have Monopoly. It wasn't invented yet. They had dreidels. Golly. I'm not very funny, or you're not paying attention. Or maybe both. Rick? I don't know. I don't even know the song. So they, they throw the dice... And it lands on Matthias. And I just think that's the most bizarre way for us to settle an issue in the church. But at the same time, it's genius, right? 
Because you're just saying like, look, we're going to let the chips fall how they fall and we're going to trust that God is going to do what God is going to do and we can't make this decision and we don't want there to be winners and we don't want there to be losers. We're just going to do this thing and trust. I don't know if Matthias and Justice knew that this was going to be happening. I don't know if it was like they were trying to get elected bishop in the Methodist church and so they run for election. I don't know how that worked. I don't, we don't know. Like I did all, I did a ton of digging. I did a lot of research to try to find out more about these two people. And this is it. This is the story. This is where they exist in scripture. And I don't know what to tell you about that. Except that sometimes God uses our best intentions. In fact, not sometimes. I think all times. God uses our best intentions to do incredible things with. I had the opportunity a few years ago to preach at Epworth United Methodist Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. It's the church I grew up going to. And I stepped up into the pulpit... They had a big, they have a much bigger pulpit, and as you know, I don't stand with this thing, but I always would try to read there for a while. And so I stepped into the pulpit, and I read the passage of Scripture that I was going to preach from, and I prayed the prayer that I pray before I preach, and I looked out, and I saw Susan Seipel. Susan was crying her eyes out. I don't know if she was crying because I was preaching or if she was crying because I was preaching. It was both. Probably. But it started with a lady saying, yes, I'll teach Sunday school. And it started with a lady saying, yes, I'll make some jello. And a little boy walking in and saying, I'll have the green fish. And I stood up in front of that church and preached my heart out. She had no idea when she was making jello the night before that Sunday school class the difference that it would make. Her best intentions God used in a life-changing kind of way. Let's say out the names of our spiritual mothers. Go. As you're saying those names, it's their best intentions that God used to shape you. A few weeks ago, we talked about saying yes to the Holy Spirit every chance you get. When you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you never really know what's going to happen. You'll be emboldened to say things that you don't know how to say, like axolotl. You will, that does, I'm getting thumbs up from Rick, that counts then. You'll be emboldened to say things. You'll be emboldened to go places and do things. And sometimes you won't even know that the Holy Spirit is using you in that way. 
And sometimes you're going to have to make a decision and you don't really know what to do, like which choice to make. And I'm here to tell you today, God is saying, pick one. This is a great world that I've created and you're creating with me. Pick one and let's go. Let's do this thing. You've been given great opportunities. Now go and do and trust that I'm going to use your best intentions. So here's the thing. Oftentimes I think that we think we have to be really good. We have to understand everything. We have to have the right words. We have to have the right answers. We have to have studied our Bibles enough. We have to do all sorts of things before we can do the thing. That's not how it works. I think the Holy Spirit inspires us in spite of us. So this is such a strange text. We have the heartbreaking story of a man who didn't understand and never understood that God was using him even in the midst of his gigantic, horrendous, heartbreaking mistake. God was still using him. And we have the story of some guys who don't know how to make the decision that needs to be made, and so they just kind of let it fall and trust that God's going to do it. And the beautiful thing about this really bizarre and weird story is that it's ours. This is our story. Because we all have been shaped by people who didn't really understand how much God was using them. But we also are used in ways that we don't understand by God. There are people all around you who need you. We need you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But even when you're not, we need you to do your thing. To be who God created you to be. Because we have a job to do, and that's to usher in this kingdom that Jesus talks about. And it's no joke. And it's no game. And it could lead us directly to our deaths. But it would be a beautiful one. And we do it all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name, amen.